This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Jenny. Hi, I'm Tammy. Hi, I'm <laughs> Sethy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're talking new releases, recent arrivals. Yes. What's yay? accent on the new releases? Yes, but first the recent arrivals. What's recently arrived, Jenny? Well, nothing has actually arrived. These it, are things that we know. <laughs> are you saying we're not getting physical product anymore? Thank goodness. <laughs> Is that the first time? No, I mean, I've been working really hard to get people not to send me things unless I know we have people that want to review them. Yeah, that's that's really good because, you know, uh, that was what I did when I found you. I said, <laughs> I've got to find somebody to take all this audio book. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. Do they send you digital stuff instead? Well, most of the time, you know, the lists I send out, it's just what I'm getting sent. And then I either send people the download codes if I have them. There is still one publisher that only sends things physically still. Brilliance? Um, is that one? Yeah. yeah. But now they wait until I give them a list of what we're going to review. Because I still have one box left of stuff that just showed up. Lots of books in the middles of series. And, oh, boy. Mm. You know, things that people don't necessarily want if they haven't already been listening. Right. Well, in order to get reviews, you have to have uh, match it up with somebody who's actually going to be able to review it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so now we're wasting less and reviewing more. It's good. That's yeah. better. Good for the Fish. environment. Yep. And my living room. Oh. <laughs> but your uh, dog is sad. I noticed in, in the official list you've not organized it into the categories that we always make fun of. Are you saying we shouldn't make fun of your categories? <laughs> huh. I love Maybe. your categories. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the best part of the making fun of. <laughs> Well, then that's my reason. Okay. No, it's not really my reason. I just ran out of time. Okay. So it'll be a really interesting order today. Yeah. So what are we starting with? We're starting with The Abyss Beyond Dreams, which is the first book in a new series by Peter F. Hamilton called The Chronicle of the Fallers. And this one's narrated by John Lee and comes from Tantor Audio. Uh, I can read the description. The year is 3326. Nigel Sheldon, one of the founders of the Commonwealth, receives a visit from the Rael, perhaps that's how you say it, self-appointed guardians of the void, the enigmatic construct at the core of the galaxy that threatens the existence of all that lives. The Rael convince Nigel to participate in a desperate scheme to infiltrate the void. Once inside, da, da, da. Nigel discovers that humans are not the only life forms to have been sucked into the void. The humans trapped there are afflicted by an alien species of biological mimics, the fallers, that are intelligent but merciless killers. Yet these same aliens may hold the key to destroying the threat of the void forever if Nigel can uncover their secrets. Hmm. Hmm. I've not read any Peter F. Hamilton that was long. Uh, Tam, you have, right? Yeah, I've actually read uh, all the five books that came before this. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm very excited for this to come out. Uh, yeah, there was there was the uh, two books in the, I guess, Commonwealth series, uh, Pandora Star and Judas and Chain, and then there was three Void Trilogy books, and then, then now this continues even from there. Okay, so... 
Yeah, even this is a, though this is a separate series, it's related yeah. to the. Okay, interesting. Mm. Yeah, usually, he puts them like a hundred years later, but then some characters live so long that they can recur right. in the books anyway. Who would you compare Peter F. Hamilton, you know, his worlds and writing to? Is it like uh, like like he's highly like a English hard SF like um, Alistair Reynolds or okay. Ian Banks? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The two other guys I have not read much. Yeah, of. me either. But but these books are kind of funny. They're like half fantasy, half science fiction. Because in the Void world, it's like you have these psychic mental powers. So it's more of a fantasy feel when you're in that world. And I was afraid that this book would be like a hundred percent like that. But uh, I just read a review by Liviu on Goodreads, and he says it's it's half and half, so it's half science fiction. So I'm more okay. excited to uh, check it out. And this comes out October 21st. Yeah, so the person getting sent the audiobook gets a little jump on it, which is nice. Nice. Um, Has Brian done a lot of reviews for us? Yeah, he's starting to do more. Okay. It's nice. It's funny because I've heard John Lee read like classics. Like I think I listened to him read Ulysses, but I don't know if I've ever heard him read science fiction. So that's interesting. He's a good reader. He Mm -hmm. um, famously, uh, poor guy, got um, stuck with reading the uh, fourth Game of Thrones book, Ice and Fire book, because Roy Dutrice was doing something else and. Yeah, it's not his fault. It just wasn't the same. It's Roy Dotrice. Everybody pooped on it because he yeah. Roy Dotrice. Yeah. All right. Darkly. Don't. Oh, just dark dreaming. Yeah. And before we talk about that one, I should okay. say that I got an email with, you know, download possibilities for four Jack Cady books. And I'm not sure how they're related to the person that sent me the codes because in Audible, they all say they come from Audible Studios. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really sure, but I've never heard of Jack Katie before, so I was, you know, curious about them. Yeah. So the next four are all from that author, but they're kind of hard to classify because they kind of seem to have multiple genres going on at once. So no, not no storyteller. Yeah. They're not all in a, the same series then. Oh no, they seem to be completely self-standing, huh, okay. as far as I can tell. Yeah. So the first one is called Dark Dreaming, and it's kind of it seems like more. He interviewed this woman and co-wrote it with her. And actually in Audible, it says that she's the author, not him. Oh, wow. Um, but they worked together. Yeah. And so it's a haunting story. Carol Orlock, the haunting of uh, Meredith Morgan, the story of a woman who must face the specter of a man she has never met, but who clearly knows her, who wants her. And wherever she closes her eyes, he knows where to find her. So that's, uh, <laughs> what genre would that be? Stalking? Horror, ghost, <laughs> paranormal, I guess. Stalking genre. We have several ghost-related things this time around. I mean, it is almost October. Ghost. So. <laughs> I like I like that stuff. Yeah. Do you know this author? I've never heard of him. Uh, okay. Me either. Uh, what's, the, what's the next one? How do you pronounce that? <laughs> I don't know. Inagahi? Yeah. It must be Cherokee. Oh. Because this one's part murder mystery, part classic tragedy, tragedy, part spiritual journey. But it's set among the Cherokee of North Carolina in the 1950s. So it's the story of a young woman who inherits a mountain and the mystery of her father's death. Hmm. With themes as ancient as the existence of God and as modern as post-traumatic stress disorder, in a gay he, or however we say it, answers that voice inside all of us that asks how it fits together. 
sounds interesting. And I've actually been to Cherokee, North Carolina, where all the signs are in two languages. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this is not a this is not a new writer. He's apparently been active for many years, uh, so at least since the eighties. I've got novels listed. So this yeah. is yeah, in an anaghi. It's from nineteen ninety three. So th- this is probably the way Audible's. You know, they they find an author and then they say, "Okay, so give us your entire back catalog." Yeah. And, yeah. So that's what's going on here. Okay, that's yeah. why we haven't heard of him before is because all of a sudden he's on Audible. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. Next up is Street, a haunting, eerie, distinctive novel by a world fantasy winning. Oh, there we go. Some okay. more facts. World fantasy <laughs> award winning author of The Sons of Noah, a killer is preying upon young women in Seattle. Police efforts have been minimal, and now the only people who might stop this rampant evil are street people. Huh. Interesting. Uh, that's it kind of makes you wonder, are street people the same thing as homeless people, or is this a different thing? <laughs> uh, I think it could include homeless people, but also maybe just people who are hang out on the stoop and you know, <laughs> yeah. sewer paper boys and <laughs> I don't know, whoever's out there. And that I one's guess. read by Mark Boyette. Oh, that, he's a good reader. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're gangs like in Warriors. Yeah. That's an old movie, Jenny. Yeah. Around the same, same time as Star Wars when you're <laughs> on the farm or whenever. <laughs> well, at least I finally watched Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, we followed your tweet fest while you were watching Star Wars. <laughs> That's a fun way to do it. I got good advice. Yeah, so you went four, five, one, six. two, three, six. Oh, you went four, five, one, two, three, six? Yeah, wow. and most people told me to skip one. Yeah, it's called it's... Hatchet, Hatchet Order, Machete Order, Machete, Machete Order. Order. Okay. <laughs> so, what did you think of the first one? Uh, or sorry, four. Well, I think that one had the most things that I never knew came from there. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, lots of the silly quotes and the references that people make. I'm like, oh. Yeah. And five. Yeah, that was good. Four and five were really good. And but five has a different tone, right? Yeah. yeah, five is dark. But I like dark. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it has a really nice ending. I like I like that we're sort of down downtrodden. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of that scene in Clerks where they're debating a Empire versus Jedi and an old Kevin I'm Smith sure movie. I'm sure it comes from there. <laughs> yeah, most people told me those are the only two I should bother with. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the thing is, is if you're a little kid, Jedi's fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was even a little too old for Jedi. It's too long, so, but the stuff, you know, the the resolution is is satisfying to me between you know, the the triangle, the hate triangle of <laughs> Luke, and Darth Vader, and the Emperor. Yeah, but the the other thing is, you know, it it's just a rehash of the first one, right? I mean, it's it's got the the exact same. Yeah, is this giant orbital, you know, moon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got Ewoks. Yeah, and that's it's not a good thing. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> because okay. the first one that Jaw was right. Yeah, I mean, at least Jaw Jenny liked the Ewoks, right, Jenny? No, I did not. <laughs> I could have done with far fewer chattering creatures and far fewer battles and far fewer races. And the rest of the story was interesting. But. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Did you watch Luke's version of the uh, episode one? 
No, but I told him I would, and I still will. I okay. I thought originally that it would save me some time, and I was planning on doing it. Um, but it's really it's still two hours long. Yeah, so I still need to do that. No, and you have to keep your eyes on the screen at all times, right, to read the subtitles. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we've got one more Jack Cady book. Mm-hmm. Jonah uh, Watch. Jo- Jonah Watch. Uh, years earlier, John Tracker. <laughs> Funny name. <laughs> Fled the insanity of his family in their house, a centuries-old monstrosity that his grandfather, Theophilus, I think, rigged full of hallucinatory, <laughs> hallucinatory tricks and vicious death traps designed to capture the devil. Now middle-aged, John receives a word, a word that the place is to be demolished to make way for a freeway. He decides to revisit it with his girlfriend, Amy Griffith, for its destruction. What's this Hitchhiker's we'll take- Guide to the Galaxy? <laughs> it sounds hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and a blizzard traps them inside the house. They will be forced to contend with the dangers hidden within. Sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to build bypasses. Was <laughs> <laughs> it the planning office? <laughs> well, these are all good length, too. I mean, the uh, longest one is eight, or eight hours, nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I still have download codes for them if you guys are interested. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research these a little more because... I don't like having this big Jack Katie gap in my knowledge. <laughs> I know. Apparently, he's well known enough to win a World Fantasy Award. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to research this one. Interesting. I've never heard of him. Ditto. I me neither. And yeah. I'm I I pride myself on knowing this stuff. So, this is shameful. Let's move on. Get out of this shame pit. Scott Westerfeld. Uh, Tam, you Afterworlds is what it's called, yeah. Tam, you were noticing this one, right? Yeah, he uh, writes the Ugly series, and um, which is inspired by Ted Chiang's, one of Ted Chiang's stories. Is it? The Ugly series is. It is? Yeah. Which, which one? Which The one about lookism, uh, liking huh. what you see or something. Oh, interesting. I, I would have. The ugly is where these YA kids get uh, surgery, then their faces are perfect, and then they're pretty. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the premise, but I thought I thought it was an older uh, sort of inspiration. There's a Twilight Zone episode that's kind of similar. Maybe it's out that's of true. that it's kind of like, but it, maybe that inspired Tetchin. Oh, okay. Uh, all right, but it, did Westerfeld cite that? Oh yeah, he uh, yeah he says it in the introduction to his book. That's really cool. He's corresponded with him. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Westerfeld so the, the, writes long, and and Chiang doesn't. Right. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, he wrote like four books in that series, right? Yep. I don't yeah, think so this is. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say this is, I think, the first book that's outside of that. Yeah. Didn't he do? Um, is he the same guy who did that like uh, Leviathan series? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so he, but he's very prolific. I mean, he, it's not been that many years since he's been in production. Uh huh. Interesting. And he wrote a bunch of uh, adult science fiction books before the YA stuff, but it wasn't that successful. Mm. So when he moved to YA, he became a big success. I think everybody likes YA. Yeah. All right, so this one's called Afterworlds. It's uh, narrated by two narrators, Sheetal Chef and Heather Lind. Hmm. It's 12 hours, and here's the description. Darcy Patel has put college and everything else on hold to publish her teen novel, Afterworlds. 
Arriving in New York with no apartment or friends, she wonders whether she made the right decision until she falls in with a crowd of other seasoned and fledgling writers who take her under their wings. Told in alternating chapters is Darcy's novel, a suspenseful thriller about Lizzie, a teen who slips into the afterworld to survive a terrorist attack. But the afterworld is a place between the living and the dead, and as Lizzie drifts between our world and that of the afterworld, she discovers that many unsolved and terrifying stories need to be reconciled. And when a new threat surfaces, Lizzie learns that her special gifts may not be enough to protect those she loves and cares most about. What genre is this? I don't... It's like metafiction? It reminds me of uh, that Haruki Murakami book. uh, What is it? Hard-boiled Wonderland and the End of the World or something like Uh that, where there are these two (laughs) seemingly uh, disconnected uh, threads going on that turn out to be uh, completely linked, where... Um, yeah, it was a fun, very strange, like all of Murakami stuff, very strange book, but pretty fun. Yeah, and it's nice when that's what's going on in the novel, and then they use two narrators. Oh, yeah, that, that, that makes <laughs> it make more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the only concern I would have is if you are really enjoying one part of the book, this is the time when an audiobook is not the ideal format, because sometimes uh, when you've got these alternating chapters... What you want to do is just skip every second mm-hmm. chapter and, you know, go, you know, one, three, five, seven, nine, right? Uh, and I've found that sometimes that, you know, that really makes it a better book by not actually reading half the book. <laughs> um, I haven't had that experience too often, but uh, in, in this case, you can't actually do that. It depends on what, what service you're playing the book on in most it's true, but you know, uh, does Audible have chapters? Yeah, it does, and even MP3. Even if you get, yeah, Audible yeah. does. And even if you get a chapter to, can't you get chaptered yeah. MP3 files? Oh, okay. Yeah, but it, uh, do the chapters follow the actual chapters, or are they in Audible? They do now. They've gotten a lot better okay. about it. Um, okay. They used to be hit and miss, but yeah, they're pretty good now. All right. But what if the story is told along the way, and you? That means you're jumping around in the order of things. I do not approve that. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny does not condone this practice. No. <laughs> well, I think you should be allowed to read the book any way you want. It's like a skipping certain POV chapters in Game of Thrones. Which yeah. Which is more forgivable. Uh, a New Dawn, Star Wars. So Jenny has to do this one because she's a Star Wars. <laughs> now that I know everything yeah. about Star Wars. You are the expert. <laughs> This one's by John Jackson Miller, read by Mark Thompson from Random House. And it's 12 and a half hours, and our Star Wars reviewer has already reviewed it, and I just need to post it. Um, It's an all-new Star Wars galaxy going forward, and to kick off this exciting new era, um, blah, 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 the very first novel set in the years leading up to the original Star Wars movie, a previously untouchable time frame in Star Wars history. Oh, cool. Features key characters from the upcoming television series Star Wars Rebels. I didn't know there was an upcoming television series. Um, the stage is set for the coming rebellion against the Empire. Kanan is a Jedi survivor of Order 66. Refusing to wield his lightsaber ever again, he makes a living as a freelance pilot, keeping his head down to avoid any Imperial attention. Um, is this Firefly? Oh, wait, wait. But when the beautiful Hera Syndulla sweeps into his life at the nice same time. Jenny. <laughs> Thank you. 
His friends and his livelihood are being threatened by an imperial plot. He faces the biggest choice of his life, keep hiding or to make a stand and risk the wrath of the Empire. Well, you know, it's funny. You watch Firefly first, right, Jenny? I did. Yeah, and so I- Mal Reynolds is just, you know... He's he's from Star Wars, basically. Yeah, he's, that's exactly what I was thinking when I finished it. I was like, okay, I get now that that was just like a Star Wars fan show. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, Firefly is such a Star Wars ripoff. It's disgusting. <laughs> well, well, so maybe this new TV show. I mean, I know we're talking about the book, but Star Wars Rebels. Maybe that's like Firefly Two or something. A Firefly yeah. ripoff. I was I, I was seeing somewhere on Full the circle. Accidentally yeah. spotted. Uh, somebody's taking photos from some new Star Wars shoot. Maybe it was for the movie or the the uh, show. But there was they were they had reconstructed the Millennium Falcon and a bunch of things on on the ground. Looked like some were in Ireland, some were wet. Hmm. So did, did they reconstruct uh, Harrison Ford's leg? I think they did. I think that's fixed. Did he oh, break yeah. his leg? He yeah. yeah, he broke his ankle or something uh, filming. Oh. oh, I did not know that. Uh, all right. Well, we're out of Star Wars territory. So, so this is in the new canon. Did you hear about that stuff? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're wiping the slate clean. The yeah. comics too are going. Dark Horse has lost the comics, and now Marvel's huh? going to be doing Star Wars comics. Oh no! <laughs> there you go. Oh, you know, there's this really, really funny sketch on last night's Saturday Night Live about how Marvel could make a movie about anything oh, and it boy. would do well. Like it could be about four shopping carts. It could be <laughs> about pe- people they took off the bus. <laughs> you guys should look for that. Cause it's that sounds good. Oh man. So this next one has been getting a lot of buzz or it's, I think it was nominated for some award station 11. Yeah. The national book award. It's national on the long award. list. Yeah. Uh, by Emily St. John Mandel, uh, narrated by Kristen Potter. I don't know who that is. Um, Mm-mm. 10 hours. Oh, you're reviewing it. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Well, do you want to tell us about it then? No, go ahead. Okay. An audacious, darkly glittering novel set in the eerie days of civilization's collapse. Station 11 tells the spellbinding story of a Hollywood star, his would-be savior, and a nomadic group of actors roaming the scattered outposts of the Great Lakes region, risking everything for art and humanity. Hmm. So... It's dystopia? No, no, no. Uh, post-apocalyptic or sounds like apocalyptic. It. Uh, I, it's I, yeah. The days of the collapse. But it's it's reasonably uh, short. Reasonably short. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you come to think this would be for you? Just because it's got the collapse. Post-apocalyptic. Okay. And I would have read it anyway since it's on the long list for the National right. Book Award. Right. But I actually first came across it in Publishers Weekly before it came out in print. Um, just the review sounded interesting. So I've had it on my radar for a bit. But I haven't started listening to it yet. I have it downloaded, though. Who here uh, heard uh, Luke Burge's uh, review of Doomsday Book? Oh, I did. Oh, no. <laughs> can you call uh, that a review? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, you can. Um, so I'm the only one. Yeah, who, I, I heard most of it. I'm not the only person who didn't like that book. Uh, you know, I went and looked at my old review, and I had a positive review. But every point, I, I find this is very true. Almost every time Luke makes a review, uh, I agree with all his points, but I don't necessarily have the same feelings about them. Mm-hmm. Um, all I remember from that book is like from reading the other books is that there's a whole lot of the main character whining. Oh, 
Mr. Dunworthy. <laughs> and, and thinking the same thoughts. Like, it, 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 I, like oh if I was to God. review it now, I think I would say you should read this book because it'll show you what it's like to have uh, mental illness because you have like persistent uh, repetitive thoughts over and over again that you can't get rid of. Yeah. Because that is exactly what happens is the characters, you know, they, they keep the, I have this concept in my head and I'm going to explain it to you. And then next chapter, <laughs> same thing. Hmm. And I like the, the parts that took place in the past. But yeah. Then the, all people in the future were really annoying. Like yeah. they, they had no cell phones and the guy with the important piece of information was sick. So they, I, they I couldn't work the time machine and stuff. I brought this up because, you know, Jenny's saying that she'll read it because it's on the list. That's what Luke was doing, right? <laughs> is he's reading everything on the Hugo and Nebula award-winning list. And there's there's some real junk in there, right? I mean, yeah. uh, Doomsday well, Book is not a great, great book. I haven't read that one, but I, I've read Blackout and All Clear. Wow. But, and eventually I'll probably go back and read it. I don't know. It's so funny you, you because like I... Too? Um, I mean, they're really easy to read, if that makes sense. And I think most of the people that hated them just wanted to point out all the places where the history was wrong. And I just mm. didn't care about that. Mm. I mean, it didn't ruin it for me. No, that's the only thing that it's about, though, right? It's it's not well, about, uh, or, like, there's one story I read by her that's it's about bell ringing. Like, <laughs> so they go back in time, they ring bells. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> if you're going to do a story about bell ringing, you better get the history right. That's yeah. all I'm telling you, you know. Well, I'm not like a Connie Willis super fan or anything. I mean, but I didn't think they were awful. It's funny because I like listening to Luke's reviews because I think he and I look for completely different things in books. Yeah. So he'll zero in on something that I just didn't care that much about, whether or not it was good or bad. So it's interesting to hear his perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably, I mean, him not liking a book won't ever stop me from trying it. So. Make up my own mind. <laughs> Blackout and All Clear are pretty long. If you finished them, there must have been something going for them for you. Well, yeah, they were on the list. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> uh, what was that, like two years ago they were on the list for the Hugo? Yeah. I think so. Something like that. That was the year I actually voted. Did you vote for it? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Short memory, I guess. Probably not. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, so this is kind of random because this is nonfiction. But I'm bringing it up because it's an author that gets mentioned, Terry oh, yeah. Pratchett. It's a slip of the keyboard. It's his collected nonfiction. Probably not all of it, but some of it's been collected. <laughs> uh, read by Michael Fenton Stevens from Random House. And let's see if I can see what it's about. Um, it just brings together the finest examples of Pratchett's nonfiction, nonfiction writing, both serious and surreal, from musings on mushrooms to what it means to be a writer and why banana daiquiris are so important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to know. I'm not um, a guy who has read any Terry Pratchett. I've read uh, some, and I saw him speak at the Oxford Union when I was there, so that was Oh, that was that's cool. cool. Yeah. I've read a little subset of the Discworld stuff. I've read the the ones about the little girl with cheese wheel. What is her name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm not going to remember. Hat Full of Sky, Wintersmith. Oh, Wee Freeman. Those. Tif- Someone aching. Tiffany aching? I think no. that's right. Yeah, maybe. That's, that's... My memory is bad. But those are like more YA. Like a YA subset of Discworld. I mean, none of his stuff is super... 
think most of his stuff could be even YA. I mean, there's not any super serious themes. I mean, there's there's some sexual right. innuendo that you know kids would miss reading it, but I, at least of the ones I've read, even the adult ones, I say, oh, kids shouldn't read that. Hmm. I think Jenny should read the next one because she's reviewing it. Yes, um, Future for Curious People by Gregory Sherrill, narrated by Heather Corrigan and Justin Torres. Now, this book, it comes out from Highbridge, and it's another one where I saw it in Publishers Weekly, and it sounded so good, I actually emailed them, and I was like, do you ever give review copies? (laughs) And it turns out that the audiobook was being distributed by Recorded Books, who we do get review copies of from. So um, we only get one per quarter from them. That got to be the one. And, um, well, I guess I'll just read the description, but I'm almost done with the book, so I can tell you a little bit more about it. Meet Evelyn and Godfrey. Evelyn is breaking up with her boyfriend, who's passing out advertisements for his band on a snowy street corner in Baltimore. She's seen their dismal future together at Dr. Chin's office. She and her boyfriend, both many years older, singing happy birthday to a chihuahua and arguing about cheese. She hopes for more. Meanwhile, Godfrey is proposing to his girlfriend, Madge, who's not quite willing to take the leap. She wants to see their future together first, just to be sure they're meant for each other. So there are these future envisioning sessions that you can pay for Mm. and you can do it with any person you've ever met in your life and see what your future is like together. And people are making decisions about relationships based on what they see. Is it a technology or is it a magic? It's a technology. Like you put something on your head and they put something into the computer and it doesn't give you like the whole picture. It just gives you one scene. So it's... (laughs) And Evelyn, it doesn't say this in this description, but she's a librarian. So, of course, you know, I like that part of it. <laughs> there uh, you go. Yeah. And it's just it's just like one of those. It's just it's cute. Yeah. And it's making me laugh. Oh, and Evelyn also volunteers recording classic books, but she changes the endings to be happy endings. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like for a service for um, people who have visual impairments. Huh. So she starts developing a fan base. I thought of Julie, you know, with her forgotten classics. Thing. <laughs> oh, I, I emailed I her. I was like, you have to read this book. <laughs> Julie, I love that Julie doesn't change anything. That That's one of the things that really endeared me to her is because she's she comes across like very, you know, prim and proper. She's she's got very strict morality. And then you'll hear her pronouncing all the fucks and the <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, I love that. She never changed the ending. She doesn't censor it at all. Uh, yeah. I am shocked. Yeah, I know. It's great. I love that. So oh, is this that's like, like mainstream or is it science fiction? Well, I mean, it has the elements, right? You know, right. you can't really see the future now. But that's but, really I, but I guess it's filed in the mainstream section. Yeah, of the I, think so. yeah. I think so. A lot of that's not marketing. Yeah, it know, sounds like it's pretty mainstream, but using the the elements. So yeah, it, it it won't feel like science fiction, is my guess. Is that, no. Yeah. I mean it's it's definitely stealing not our scientifically based. <laughs> stealing our precious tropes. <laughs> it's more kind of like Philip K. Dick, you know, where there's some humor in there and some things that are not quite believable and but I liked it anyway. Well, really speaking good. of Philip K. Dick and mainstream, uh, why don't we skip down to that one and then come back up? Because that's, yeah. that's an interesting uh, – there's a couple of new new releases, Philip K. Dick's never before on audio, that are not science fiction, not fantasy, just mainstream. 
Yeah. So tell us about this one. Do you, had you heard of it before? I have heard of most of these. Um, but the thing is, is I, I still, I, I have a feeling I won't like them because they won't have those elements, but I have a feeling that his writing also really doesn't depend on those elements because it's just, that's how his mind works. So let's read the description and see uh, what it's like. So the first one's called Puttering About in a Small Land. <laughs> and it's performed by Luke Daniels, Kate Rudd, and Amy McFadden. It's 11 hours. Marissa's going to do the review. And here's the description. When Roger and Virginia Lindhall enroll their son Greg in Mrs. Alt's Los Padres Valley School in the mountains of Southern California, their marriage is already in deep trouble. Sounds like a Philip K. Dick book. Then <laughs> <laughs> the Lindalls meet Sheik and Liz Bonner, whose two sons also board at Miss Alt's school. The meeting is a catalyst for the complicated series of emotions and trauma set against the backdrop of suburban Los Angeles in the early 50s. The buildup of emotional intensity and finely observed characterizations are hallmarks of Philip K. Dick's work. This realistic novel, filled with the details of everyday life and skillfully told from three points of view, is powerful, eloquent, and gripping. Uh, yeah, so I have a feeling in the conversations there will be sort of the the bizarre element that he's uh, known for, but all of all of I think all of his mainstream novels did not get publication until uh, around time of his death, huh. because they they just couldn't sell them. He, he could sell science fiction, he couldn't sell his mainstream books. Not mainstream enough. Uh, I thought there was more than that. Uh, that one. That's the only one I remember seeing. But oh, maybe okay. well, I, uh, maybe I spotted them and uh, assumed that you would put them all on the list. But there there are more. I think he wrote like five or six uh, mainstream books, and he also wrote one children's book, which I'm hoping will come out. Hmm. It's an audio book. It's hmm. uh, called Nick and the Glimmung, and the Glimmung is a character from another uh, science fiction novel. Uh, he's a giant uh, undersea death monster. <laughs> on a on an alien planet, and uh, he's trying to raise a cathedral. Um, so that that would be fun to look at if that one ever comes out. Yeah, we've got a Philip Pullman on the list, uh, the Grimm's Fairy Tales, which I thought had been out. I think I have this in audio. Yeah, we can skip it because it came out in Audible in 2012. It's just that Brilliance Audio sometimes goes back and oh, right. puts things out on CD that weren't on CD before. So, yeah, I think we actually talked about it two years so. ago. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about Grimm it right now. It's, um, but I still, I'm, I'll look forward to Terp Kristen's, you know, review of it. Because I've always wanted to go back and read it, and I haven't, so. The Girl with No Hands, that's one of the ones listed there. That is a mm-hmm. weird story. All, almost really? all of them. I mean, you know, we know Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. We know Rapunzel. Rapunzel's pretty weird, too. But uh, a lot of these stories, like, they are totally if you look at for the morality thread that's going through they're completely contradictory to each other yeah right um, well i don't think the Grimm brothers meant them as morality tales that's no, how they kind of got rewritten well uh, but the thing is is when you're reading it like back to back there's like some of the super hyper religious stories uh you know mary and the you know the child and blah blah and then the next one is you know Lady, uh, lady witches eating each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> lots of serial killers and uh, and you know random like some some stories. You know, you people get chopped up and get sewn back together. It's no problem right. again. 
Um, well, maybe we need to have a read-along of something like The Girl I, with No Hands. I totally think we should. And uh, there is actually a Philip K. Dick story that I was thinking. Oh, oh no, it's a Asimov story that's about fairy tales that hmm. I that is a really good story, but is not a lot to say about it because it's, it, you know, Asimov's not super, super deep. Um, he's all, he tells you exactly what he's doing. Right. Um, but I was thinking we do that, uh, do that story at the front, talk about that a bit, and then each pick a fairy tale that we will all read. And then, uh, oh, yeah. because the Grimm's uh, Grimm fairy tales have every kind of uh, crazy story you can imagine. And none of them, are without many layers of interpretation and thinking that they, they, they'll leave you going, what the hell's going on? And then when you figure it out, it's like, Oh my God, this is a story about uh gay sex. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect that from uh, 17th century uh, Germany or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause <laughs> they, they, they seem obvious when you like start decoding the symbols. Yeah. Hmm. Can I pick the cartoon version of Red Riding Hood by Tex Avery? Huh. Well, I think I think uh, there's another name for that story. Uh, little Red Cap. Yes, Rotkäppchen in the German. Yeah, Little Red Cap. <laughs> little Red Cap. You want to do Little Red Cap? Jenny wants to do the girl with no hands. <laughs> Seth? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Rumpelstiltskin could be fun. Rumpelstiltskin. That's a long one. Okay. Um. My favorite fairy tale isn't a grim tale, so. Oh, who's 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 yours? East of the sun and west of the moon. Oh, I don't know that it's one. It's Norwegian. Ah. Oh, I read uh, one called the Vasilisa the Beautiful, which is a Russian one, recently, and that has um, that has uh, who's the lady? Oh, Baba Yaga. Hmm. You know Baba Yaga? Mm-hmm. Anybody know Baba Yaga? I've heard it before, mm-hmm. but I can't place it. Baba. Baba Yaga is like a character who appears in a whole bunch of these stories. Yeah. And she's like, she's a witch and sometimes she's good and sometimes she's bad and sometimes she's neutral, but she lives in a house in the woods that's up on chicken legs so it can move around. <sighs> and when she travels around the forest, she, she, she's inside a mortar and she uses a pestle in one hand and a broom in the other to like, I don't know whip the mortar so that it flies around the forest. It's crazy. <laughs> Sweet. And it's full of all that sort of symbology that it's like, aha, yeah, yeah, witches are good and bad. Mm-hmm. Witches hmm. are wise and uh, evil, powerful, you know, really cool stuff. Yeah. Sounds like Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, I think, uh, it's, yeah. I think that sort of stuff is related, right? It might be an inspiration. Oh, yeah, we should put that on the schedule at some point here. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on. Moving along. Mage's Blood, the Moontide Quartet by David Hare, performed by Nick Padell. 25 hours. Yeah. Well, Rob's up for it. He, I, I saw him uh, on a Twitter exchange uh, explaining, you know, how he's, he's always reviewing for us. And uh, this, this sounds like a first in the series. Uh, does anybody know about this one? Or? Nope. Nope. No? Okay, I guess I'll read it. Go for it. Uh, David Hare is the award-winning writer of two young adult fiction series, The Aotearoa and The Return of Ravana, based on the Vedic epic, The Ramayana. Wow. What's a Vedic? I don't know what the Vedic the, are. The Vedas, the Hindu, um, ah. Hindu epics. Yeah. 
Mage's Blood, the first volume of a series called the Moontide Quartet, is Hare's first work of adult fantasy. It's a starred review in Mage's... Oh, in a starred review of Mage's Blood, Publishers Weekly called it... Uh, oh, no, said of it, this multi-layered beginning of the Moontide Quartet plunges readers into a taut network of intrigue and mystery that tightens with each chapter. Hare portrays a stark and beautiful world breaking apart with both good and evil characters desperate to reshape it through magic, war, and treachery. Strong debut uh, should draw fantasy readers of all stripes. And uh, it's got magi, crusades, uh, moontides. Fun. Jenny, can you explain what a star Favorite review books? is? I, I have an idea, but I don't really know. Yeah, in Publishers Weekly... They include all the books, well, not every book, but they try to include a wide range of books that are coming out. Mm-hmm. But a starred review means they recommend it oh, for okay. reading, for purchase. Like it's a, it, like some libraries, for instance, just buy the starred reviews. Ah, I got gotcha. you. So getting a star is a helpful thing. <laughs> I thought it was just like it had a review with like, you know, the Amazon five stars and it might have gotten one star. It might have gotten two stars. No, five you stars. either get a star or you don't. Oh, you don't. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, okay. it's just one or no. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Good House by Peyton Marshall, performed by Will Dameron. Marissa's going to review this. It's 10 hours, and I think Tam should read this one. It's been a while since Tam read one. You mean the book or the description? The description. <laughs> ben, okay. read the book. Oh, my God. Uh, a big-hearted dystopian. Oh, this is a Jenny novel. A big hard dystopian novel about the corrosive effects of fear and the redemption power, the redemptive power of love. At the end of the 21st century in a transformed America, the families of convicted felons are tested for a set of genetic markers. Boys who test positive become compulsory rewards, compulsory rewards of the state, removed from their homes and raised on good house campuses where they learn to reform their darkest thoughts and impulses. Good house is a feral place, part prison, part boarding school. And now a religious, a radical religious group, the Holy Redeemer's Church of Purity, is intent on destroying each campus and purifying every child with fire. We see all this through the eyes of James, a transfer student who watched as the radical set fire to his old God house, good house and everyone he'd ever known. In addition to adjusting to a new campus with new rules, James now has to contend with Bethany, a brilliant, medically fragile girl who wants to save him. And her father, the school's sinister director of medical studies. Soon, however, James realizes that the biggest threat might already be there inside the fortified walls of Good House itself. Probably based on the true story of 19th century Preston School of Industry and the boys who lived and died in its halls, Good House explores questions of identity and free will and what it means to test the limits of human endurance. Sounds pretty good. Hmm. What I like most about the description is a big-hearted dystopian novel. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds pretty good, and it's it's YA sounding as well. Yeah, and historically based in a way. That's yeah, that sounds always yeah. interesting. Mm. Yeah. Nice. That's right in your wheelhouse, Jenny. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. see if Marissa likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of Terror collection. I wanted to talk about this one because it's got a lot of people I read. Uh, Russell, yeah. Yeah, a night which, uh, oh, sorry, a night in Whitechapel by that's by Guy de Maupassant. That's one I had not known was a uh, was a horror story because he's he's got like three hundred short stories, right? Yeah. Um, 
And that's not on my list of official stories of his that are morbid, macabre, or uh, spooky or anything like that. So I'm going to have to track that one down. Um, Was It a Dream by uh, Guy de Maupassant. Really good, really short story um, set in a graveyard. Caterpillars. uh, I think that is... Ambrose uh, oh, okay. You, you might be right. Oh, oh wait. I they just have it in a weird order here. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they do. John yeah. Mortensen's funeral is Ambrose Bierce. Yeah, it's uh, sort of backwards there. Victor Garber, I think, is a really good narrator, if I'm remembering him right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's the best part of this. <laughs> well, it, these are all public domain stories, presum- presumably the translations are anyways. Stories are very old. Yeah. Right. Well, and this is just one disc, one yeah, hour. Yeah, and one hour. That, it's so easy to get through that, but... Uh, I got to I got to track down the the night in Whitechapel. The thing is, is Beers is Beers is really good ideas, but he's got this weird style where he wants to make it difficult for you to understand what's going on. Yeah, and I find it very annoying. But I want I want to know what's going on so badly, but I hate fighting him trying to figure out what <laughs> he's trying to say. And he's not doing it accidentally; he's doing it on purpose. That's kind yeah. of a um. It's very frustrating because I, I want I want it when it works, it works really well. But most of the time I find that it's it's just like just say what you want to say, man. Darn modernist writers. Yeah. 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 Uh all right. Uh the next one is similar. It's a collection of ghost stories, uh instead of terror stories, but much longer, nine hours. Um, includes authors by uh, authors like Daniel Defoe, Rudyard Kipling, Ambrose Bierce, Arthur B. Reeve, who I'm not familiar with, M.R. James, E.F. Benson, uh, Edward Bulwer Lytton. He's the guy who's famous for uh, Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Oh, okay. Ah. Uh, Leopold Compert, not familiar with him. Algernon Blackwood, very familiar with him. Br- Brander Matthews, not so familiar with him. And Ellis Parker Butler. And Vincent O'Sullivan. So a mix of people I'm really familiar with and people not. Um, the in- stories included are A Woman's Ghost Story, which is a good one. Um, even though it's got <laughs> A Woman's Ghost Story is the name of it. Kenan Albrecht's uh, Scrapbook by M.R. James. Um, the Apparition of Mrs. Veal by Daniel Defoe. And um, The Damn Thing by Ambrose Pierce. That's one of those stories where... You you want to know what the damn thing is, and they don't. He doesn't let you get to it until <laughs> it's it's not told as well as it should be. Um, also listed there is the Phantom Rickshaw by Richard Kipling, which is a very strange, weird story. Um, there was a a podcast on it recently that I heard, and then I I tracked down the original publication, um, and it was very interesting in. India, uh, you know, during the time of the the empire, the English community in in India was huge, but uh, they had all these monopolies. So um, at the train stations, only uh, official sellers could, you know, who who were part of the monopoly could sell things. And that's where Richard Kipling got his start. Oh. The reason he was popular is because he he published all the stories in the official train stop magazines. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, that's where The Phantom Rickshaw was first published, which it's set in India. And it's uh, um, you, you guys all know what a rickshaw is, right? Yeah, it's like one of those little carts, right? Yeah, it's one of the uh, cart pulled by a yeah. horse instead of an animal. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a story about like a love affair that goes wrong. And, and then uh, the lady dies. And I think it's a lady. Yeah, the lady dies. And then the... The rickshaw itself, including the the guy who's pulling it and the lady, are all a ghost, which makes no sense, right? Ooh. Because the lady's dead, yeah. but the rickshaw and the guy who's pulling it are ghosts too. That's funny. It's hilarious. Hmm. But because it's not told as a joke, it it, it becomes sort of traumatic. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the end of Jenny's list. It's the end of my list. I've got a list of my own here. Um, you guys have a spot of that because uh, I know everything about all of these. And I'm going to, well, that's not true. But I'm going to tell you about the first one first, which is, uh, again, not just a new release. This is actually a recent arrival. I actually have written a review for it already. I'm waiting until October comes out so that we can I can post it. Because this comes out October 17th. It's called The Scarifiers, The Winter King. It's book nine of... Um, not book nine, it's uh, episode nine or show nine of a long-running uh, com- comedic radio drama, audio drama, um, about a pair of um, uh, detectives, not detectives, I don't know, agents of, uh, an, well, I'll just read the description here. <laughs> Midsummer, 1938, when a train porter is frozen in his living room, then nearly crowned Miss Croydon, MI-13's Harry Crow, played by David Warner, and Professor Dunning, played by Terry Malloy, are on the case. But what links the unfortunate porter to the equally glaciated peer of the realm, Lord Trumpley? MI-13's investigations lead them to an exclusive gentleman's establishment, the Tartarus Club, whose membership appears to be rapidly dwindling. Uh, What is the secret of the Tartarus Club? Why are the villagers of Thornton Gibbet afraid of the 300-year-old ghost? And why is it snowing in June? As everlasting winter sets in, Crow and Dunning find themselves pitted against the greatest foe yet, the King of Winter. Hmm. So, uh, it's it sounds like it's a bit of a comedy. It is a total comedy, um, but it's got a period setting uh, just prior to World War II, and it's got some really great actors, really great soundscape. Um, the uh, Tam will know who this guy is. You know David Warner, Tam. Um, not really. Yes, you do. He's he's the uh, bad guy in the first Tron movie. Oh, okay. You remember him? Was he in Time After Time? As yep. Ripper? Yep. He oh, okay. always plays bad guys. And huh. in this case, he's playing a good guy, but he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he goes around, you know, blustering his way through people. And they're like, oh, this guy's a jerk. Um, and the other actor, Terry Malloy, he plays sort of a meek, uh, meek version of the same character. Hmm. Uh, uh, well, they're, they're a pair. And uh, these are really funny. They're, they're all about the jokes. Um, so th- there's these setups for the plot. It's always supernatural, some sort of event tied to uh, folklore or something like that. It's it's kind of like X-Files in England yeah. with really good actors and uh, done as a comedy. So you'll, look, you'll see my review go up in a couple of days. This yeah. is brand new. Yeah, this is brand new, coming out October 17th, and it's the ninth one they've done. I've, I've heard at least six six of the previous ones, and they're all really good. Um, 
So, audio drive. Winter is coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's It's got a lot of funny jokes in it. Uh, I really like it. A lot of puns. <laughs> and a lot of swearing, too, which I like. Um, uh, I'll take the next one. Okay. Because I see one of my favorite words, plague. Okay. Um, Devoured by Jason Brandt, narrated by Wayne June. Looks like it's about one Jesse, seven hours. Yep. And it's the first in a series called The Hunger. Uh, life isn't kind to Lance York. A full-time job has eluded him for years. His wife loathes the sight of him. His bank accounts are empty. And his wealthy father-in-law revels in, revels, revels in his failures. After he lunges in front of a car to save a sick and disoriented woman... Lance awakens in a quarantined hospital. A devastating plague is spreading worldwide, driving those infected with it insane. Their bodies begin to mutate into horrors that have haunted mankind's nightmares for centuries. The world descends into chaos as death holds sway in the streets. With the help of an unlikely ally, Lance must navigate through the collapsing city of Pittsburgh, striving to escape the madness of the apocalypse that unfolds around them. Yeah, now, uh, the reason I know about this is because it's narrated by Wayne June. Yeah, he's great. He is really terrific, and anything that's sort of horrific is his bailiwick. Um, And he actually sent me a download code for it uh, about a week ago, and I've been really busy, so I hadn't got to it. Um, But I have that download code to give to you, Jenny, to give to anybody who would like to review this. It's part of a series, and I think all of the books are out in that series. But I'm just not a series guy. And right now I've got this massive book I gotta get through. So uh I do I do wanna know if it's as good as I hope it is. I wanna know if it's zombies. Because the they, word devoured Yeah. Cover looks zombie e. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm more interested in plague than zombies personally. <laughs> but I'm sure you can find someone to review it. <laughs> Yeah, and there's three books, and the first one's called Devour, the second's called Consumed, and the third one's called Ravaged. <laughs> so, <laughs> fourth, like one, fourth one, the prequel is just called Lightly Nibbled On. <laughs> <laughs> Licked. Yeah. <laughs> so the next one is a Lawrence Block, and I've never read any Lawrence Block, but um, looks I mean, neat. No, this is a re-release, so it's yeah. not a new book, but it is newly out again. Yeah. A Walk Among the Tombstones, a Matt Scudder mystery. Uh, and who's reading this? Oh, no, Mark, by Hammer. Mark Hammer, don't know him. Uh, private detective Matt Scudder investigates a series of kidnappings that always end in brutal murder. Best-selling author Lawrence Block takes us into the seedier back alleys and side streets of New York City, rendering his subject with a gritty realism. Yeah, so one of the reasons I also wanted to... Uh, I, I know why it's really released, but... I've read this book. It's really good. I've actually read this audio book as well. Um, Mark Hammer, a lot of people don't like his narrative style. It's quite slow. Um, and he's got a really gravelly voice. But I think it's I think it's good. I, I didn't like it at first. But as I went through the book, it's and it's a long one, uh, I really I came to appreciate it. Because this Matthew Scudder series, uh, this book 10, is uh this is the sort of the one everybody knows is like it's the big uh sort of the turning point in the series mm-hmm. and uh it's now a movie it's probably it's a she huge... Keenan had spent the last week of... <laughs> <laughs> he's got a very gravelly voice um so the 
the movie that's out right now stars Liam Neeson. It's hugely, you know, promoted. Yeah. I assume you guys have heard the trailer or seen the trailer for it. Um, apparently there's billboards going up all over the world uh, for it. And the plot is really excellent. It's set in New York. Um, and it's about a kidnapper who kills um, the kidnappee. Uh-huh. And the family wants revenge. Wow. Uh, so uh, Matt Scudder is is this char- is the main character of this series of books, and he's a ex policeman who uh, is a private detective, but unlicensed. So you sort of have to hear hear about him from from a friend or something, and and he he goes in uh, does investigations, and he's got a, an apprentice kind of, but he's also an alcoholic, mm-hmm. uh, and he's attending meetings and trying to. Uh, get his life back together but it's it's really excellent and you know uh, i talk about lawrence block a lot because he is such a great writer and once you start reading his stuff you say he's got so much and nothing really ever fails wow sometimes you know books are okay or uh you know they're fine but there's never a failure amongst any of his books and when they go high like they do in this this example it's just a triumph. It's a tri- it's a triumph of a classic of a of this genre, the sort of the private detective genre. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think they're already people are asking if there's going to be a sequel uh, for a Walk Among the Tombstones, and there are a lot of other uh, books that could be adapted. Um, in fact, one has already been adapted. One's called Eight Million Ways to Die, which again right. also is a very good uh, book. And was turned into an okay movie, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a good movie with uh, Jeff Bridges, and I think yeah. Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay. Yeah, and I uh, and I think the baddie was played by a good actor as well. Yeah, um, uh, Andy Garcia. Garcia. Yeah, yeah, it was it was well done. This one's actually even more powerful as a story, um, and that one for some reason was filmed in Los Angeles, even though it's set in New York. Oh. Well, I, I think it was supposed to be set in Los Angeles in the other movie, but this one's actually filmed in New York, I think. Hmm. So, uh, if you're if you're uh, curious about the book, it's it's probably even better than the movie. I have not seen the movie, but um, I can highly recommend the book. Uh, now, the next one is another Lawrence Block, um, and I've heard all but two of the stories in this twelve course meal of sinister surprises. Um, and this is another kind of uh, col- it's a collection of short stories all about the same character uh, by Lawrence Block. And it's called Defender of the Innocent, the Casebook of Martin Ehrengraf. Now, Martin Ehrengraf is a really interesting... uh, I'll I'll read the description then, explain it a little more if it needs it. Martin H. Ehrengraf, dapper and diabolical, may be Lawrence Block's darkest creation. He's the defense attorney who never sees the inside of a courtroom because all his clients are innocent, no matter how guilty they may seem. Some even believe themselves to be guilty. They remember pulling the trigger or wiring the dynamite to their spouse's car or holding the bloody blade. But things have a way of working out when Martin Ehrengraf is on the case. Evidence turns up incriminating someone else. Murders occur with the same M.O. And the gate on the jail cell opens and the accused walks free. But be careful. Hiring Martin Ehrengraf comes with a price. A high price. One, comes due, one that comes due even when it appears to have done nothing on your behalf. And you'd better be prepared to pay. Um, so... Uh, most of these were written, I think, in the early 80s. Um, 
And I, I saw that the one was brand new for this collection. That means it's first out on audio. But uh, Lawrence Block tweeted me and said that actually there's two that have never been on audio before because one had been released as a Kindle only uh, in a Kindle only collection. So uh, this has actually got two stories that I've not read. And I, I can highly recommend these as well. They're really, really funny, <laughs> even though they're really dark. Um, because uh, it's it's always the same story every time. Some client comes to the lawyer and says, I got this problem. I need a defense attorney. I'm accused of murder. And sometimes they say, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And sometimes they say, yeah, well, I did it. And I'm glad I did it. <laughs> and no matter what happens, he, his, his policy is always the same. You don't have to pay me unless uh, you walk free. And they always have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny because That's great. You, you get the sense of this character, you know, doing all the pulling all the strings, but it's almost all dialogue driven. There's almost no description of what actually happens outside of the out of his office. So the def- what happens if they can't pay? Uh, they the they always pay. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great character. Lawrence Block is he's so devious and clever. <laughs> Um, that he he always makes a great little uh, he makes a meal out of everything. This <laughs> is so, great stuff. So that one uh, I'm looking forward to hearing. And another interesting thing about Lawrence Block is he's he's really um, he's embraced uh, ebook publishing. Oh wow! Um, he's an old guy. He's been publishing book or you know writing books since the 50s, and uh, he he embraced um, audiobook publishing. He was publishing his own audiobooks under his own imprint uh, on cassette. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Kindle started going, he was uh, narrating. He was he, he narrate he narrated a lot of his own stuff. Yeah, um, and uh, he also you know he's got. Like this audiobook, it's released as a Lawrence Block audiobook under the Lawrence Block imprint, but uh, he's not narrating this one. So he's he's totally in charge of his own publication now, it seems like. And he'll go with, you know, the mainstream publisher if that's going to, uh, you know, get get into the right bookstores and stuff. But with his back catalog, he is totally in charge of it and and very active. He's also very active on Twitter. Guys, Isn't there some oh. system where an author can just find a narrator independently? Yeah, that's ACX, I think. Um, is, that what, is that what this is? That's the official uh, Audible one. But um, I, I'm not even sure that it was done through that. I think that okay. he may have just picked the narrator on his own. Um, because he's done that before. I have one of his uh how to write i love his writing so much that i got one of his how to write books oh wow books and uh audiobooks and i i didn't even want to learn how to write i just love the way he talks uh-huh and uh when you read his stuff he's got this really uh he's just so such a great writer you guys should really read a Horace block book okay I, I recommend either one of those by the way welcome among the tombstones or defender of the innocent okay so those are the only uh uh, ones from Audible that I picked, and the rest are all on Downpour. Excellent. So, uh, next up is Man of Two Worlds uh, by Frank Herbert and Brian Herbert. And I'm not a big fan of Brian Herbert, 
But this is an interesting book I wanted to have a look at. It says, Frank Herbert's last published novel is a charming and witty science fiction adventure co-authored by or with his son, Brian. What if the entire universe was the creation of alien minds? After an unfortunate spaceship accident, the hedonistic human, Lut Hansen Jr., finds himself <laughs> sharing his body and mind with a native alien dreamer. Together, they, the two must survive dangers, schemes, and assassination attempts. But can they survive each other? I just think it's interesting that this is Frank Herbert's last published novel, and yet it's, it's just coming out now. It's uh, Stephanie Myers, the host. <laughs> What's that? It's uh, Stephanie Myers, the host. Oh, it's the same. Oh, I see. I got <laughs> same you. premise. Uh, I, I, yeah, I know. I'm starting. Uh, I didn't realize that's what it was about. The host. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, alien invasion and aliens kind of take. I haven't actually read it. This is just dumb synopsis and stuff I've seen. But yeah, alien invasion and aliens kind of take over people's heads, and most people just kind of cow to it um this one girl of course resists and makes some sort of peace with the alien in her head yeah huh? i don't know hmm. um but yeah i'm not a fan of scott brick unfortunately so i wouldn't yeah he he can work really well depends on the book yeah I mean, if it's if it's first person um and it's the right sort of um character like if it's if it's sort of you know a certain kind of character he's really good yeah but if he's doing everybody and it's sort of just a you know third person uh omniscient I, i'm not a fan yeah but uh, in first person uh certain he's he's really good so it, it's funny that you know you could have this problem where you like narrators only in one way yeah like um, somewhere in time that i'm still eventually will get through the uh, richard matheson um book used to be called bid time return and then once the movie came out they changed it of course um, but it's first person and it's, it's pretty good. He, he does a pretty good job. Yeah. When it is first person, he, he can really embody the character. It, it's, um, it's good stuff. Uh, now the next one, uh, Tam, did you hear, uh, Luke's review of this? Yeah, it sounds oh. really good. It's like yeah, a whole bunch it? of, uh, references in the back, scientific references. It's called Echopraxia. It's by Peter Watts. Um, Luke reviewed the PDF. I guess the audiobook hadn't is just coming out uh, two days ago. Um, published through Dreamscape, and it's available on Downpour. Dreamscape is is also the uh, audiobook producer of uh, the Nightland, the one we're going to be doing shortly. And uh, I, I'm glad to see they're 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 picking good authors because I've only read one Peter Watts book, but I I, I was amazed by how jam-packed it was just like luke was saying you know these this guy has no problem putting in a million ideas into his books which one did you read uh what did i read uh, it's the first a blind sight blind sight. okay i mean i think yeah, this is kind of a sequel to it right oh is it okay well or the, yeah they're related standalone though isn't it yeah okay yeah maybe. i think they take place at the same time maybe and there's like oh, cross references yeah uh, let me see what I can do about reading this here. It's the eve of the 20, 22nd century, a world where the dreary departed send postcards back from heaven and where the evangelicals make scientific breakthroughs by speaking in tongues, where genetically engineered vampires solve problems intractable to baseline humans and where soldiers come with zombie switches that shut off self-awareness during combat. 
and it's all under surveillance by an alien presence that refuses to show itself. Daniel Brooks is a living fossil, a field biologist in a world where biology has turned computational and cat's paw used, oh, has turned computational. And he's also a cat's paw used by terrorists to kill thousands. Taking refuge in the Oregon desert, he's turned his back on humanity that shatters into the strange new subspecies with every heartbeat. But he awakens one night to find himself at the center of a storm that will turn all of history inside out. Now he's trapped on a ship bound to the center of the solar system. To his left is a grief-stricken soldier obsessed by whispered messages from a dead son. To his right is a pilot who hasn't yet found a man she's sworn to kill on sight. A vampire and its entourage of zombie bodyguards uh, lurk in the shadows behind, and dead ahead, a handful of rapture-stricken monks takes them all to a meeting with something they will only call the Angel of the Asteroids. Their pilgrimage begins, oh, sorry, brings Dan Brooks, the fossil man, face-to-face with the biggest evolutionary breaking, breaking, no, break point since the origin of thought itself. So he's uh, based on that one book I've read by him and the interviews and other things I've read about him and listened to Luke's review. It sounds like he's really into like the philosophy of consciousness and how brains work. And he has, you know, spaceships and stuff like that. But those are sort of the uh, the vehicles for exploring uh, human brains, which is really cool. Very cool stuff. And I remember the vampire from Blindsight. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I assume that this is it sounds kind of similar in plot. Yeah, well, I think what Luke said is that this is the story back on the ground. But okay. then... It says that they go back into space, so I don't think it's a prequel or anything, but I don't think it's a consecutive tale either. Mm. Uh, Jenny, uh, how far away from the Oregon desert were you? Um, Oregon's a pretty big state, maybe three hours. Okay. I did go on my honeymoon there, went whitewater rafting. <laughs> I didn't okay. know there was an Oregon desert. Yeah, almost nobody does. Oregon has everything. It has rainforest, mountains, ocean, and desert. And lots of granola. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mostly coffee these days. Coffee. Mm. Um, they, that's also, uh, the Oregon desert's also where Frank Herbert got all crazy with his uh, dunes. Right? Yeah. It's I'm not surprised. He, everything east of the mountains. Yeah. So he's, he, Frank Herbert was like the reason Dune is such a deep book is he got like way crazy doing the ecology of like studying uh, academically the ecology of of the Oregon desert. Oh wow. And then he said, "Hey, now I'm going to make a book out of this." Mm-hmm. Um that's and, awesome. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's it's like actual geography actually makes a <laughs> an impact on on uh, our reading and you get obsessed with something, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, I think Tammy, did you read Blindsight? Yeah, I did. Oh, so did you like it? Um, sure. I wasn't planning on reading this other one, but it actually sounds even more interesting to me. Mm. So well, I maybe read, read along. Yeah, maybe. Doesn't look too bad. Yeah, I would do it. Okay. Um, now, this next one I think Tam should read. Uh, oh. Not just the description, but also I think you might like the book. I, I quite liked this oh. book uh, years ago when I read it. Oh, wait, Jenny, didn't you read this one? Nope. Or am I... Oh, I'm getting confused. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like that Pinchon book, Something Day. And then you read a book with Day in the title. 
This right? is this is newly released. It just came out last week. By the author of Rosemary's Baby. Ooh. Horrifying Journey. This Perfect Day. This Perfect Day. Uh, a horrifying journey into a future. Oh, it's in the future, too. Mm-hmm. Only Ira Levin could imagine. Consider one of the great dystopian novels alongside Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange and Aldous Huxley's A Brave New World. Ira Levin's frightening glimpse into the future continues to fascinate readers even 40 years after its publication. The story is set in a seemingly perfect global society. Uniformity is the defining feature. There is only one language, and all ethnic groups have been eugenically merged into one race called the family. The world is ruled by a central computer called Unicomp that has been programmed to keep every single human on the surface of the Earth in check. People are continually drugged by means of regular injections so that they can never realize their potential as human beings but will remain satisfied and cooperative. Hmm. They are told where to live, where to eat, when to eat, whom to marry, and when to reproduce. Even the basic facts of nature are subject to the Unicom's will. Men do not grow facial hair. Women do not develop breasts. Oh, no. And it rains. <laughs> it only rains at night. <laughs> With the vision as frightening as any in the history of the science fiction genre, this perfect day is one of our 11's most haunting novels. Oh, copyright 1970. Yeah, first published 1970. Um, I've never heard of this book. Yeah. this author? I hadn't heard of it until I read it. <laughs> I've, and then I've, I've heard of Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, well, Ira Levin was huge. He was a huge publisher of, uh, you know, like Rosemary's Baby is an example. But he wrote a ton of really mainstream books that hmm. did really popular sales. And then he basically was immediately forgotten. Uh, but this was quite a good book um, as I read it many years ago, maybe uh, 25 years ago. But uh, it was—it's never been released as an unabridged audiobook before. And um, if the narrator's any good, Kevin T. Collins—I've not heard of. Um, this would be a very—it's uh, Harper Collins, so it's probably a, a good narrator. Um, It's—it uh, could be a really fun book to go to. Um, I, I love how in all the dystopian elements, the Tam only got upset about one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Must have breasts. <laughs> Oh, Tam. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's... I was going to say, it sounds like America, except for the ending. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Uh, well, I, 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 I wouldn't mind rereading that. It, I, I quite enjoyed it. And, uh, so, hey, I guess he's very accessible, like a best-selling author? Yeah, very clear writing and uh, very... Um, he's kind of, I would say he's more Michael Crichton-ish. Right. Uh, but Saving the thing is... is um, he in this book it feels a lot more science fictiony. You know, like it's not when reading Michael Crichton, it's like, hey guys, I've heard of something called science fiction, but I'm not going to really <laughs> do that. But I'll 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 make it really easy for you. This is actually is is more like uh, Brave New World. It's it's it you know Brave New World also mainstream sort of book, but it feels much more science fictiony. This one's much more like that, much more science fictiony. Wow, feeling the details about. Uh, the dystopian aspects of it are um, are of that feeling, which I think is important. Uh, it kind of sounds like um, Logan's Run or something. That's yeah, that's yeah, and it's it's prior to Logan's Run too, right? So it's uh, but it, it, it you know if you if you read this description, you'd say, hey, it's a throwback to the style of you know because this doesn't sound like modern science fiction, does it? 
It's not what people are dealing with anymore. No. We're past that, right? It, it reminds me of uh, Anne Rand's Anthem, too, which mm-hmm. is a good short dystopian piece. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Probably so the only thing by her that I like or care yeah. to read. Proper. Uh, by the way, that's public domain Anthem. So people can go download it to their heart's content. Cool. Uh, next up, uh, Far Futures. This is an older collection. Uh, from 1995, but it includes uh, some really good names. Um, uh, Greg Bear, Paul Anderson, D- Donald Kingsbury, who I'm not familiar with, Joe Haldeman, and Charles Sheffield, uh, read by one, two, three, four, five, six people, including Stefan Rudnicki and uh, Paul Bomer. It's 17 hours, and it's five novellas of hard SF. By five masters of the form. Um, so uh, I wanted to just go, add this to the list for sure because I think it, we've sort of lacking hard SF, and this is a new collection on audio. Uh, from the Nebula Award-winning Gregory Benford comes the ambitious hard SF anthology that collects five original novellas. Each one takes the very long view, all set at least ten year, thousand years in the future. Wow. Yeah, the authors take a rigorously scientific view, scientific view of such grand panoramas, confronting the largest issues of cosmology, astronomy, evolution, and biology. The last moments of the universe besieged occupy, uh, besieged occupy Greg Bear's judgment engine. Can something human matter at the very end of creation, as contorted matter ceases to have meaning, and time itself stutters to an eerie halt? Uh, Genesis by Paul Anderson is set a billion years ahead. With humanity, when humanity has become extinct, Earth is threatened by a slowly warming sun, and the vast machine intelligences decide to recreate humans. Huh. I think that one has been expanded into a novel now, I think. could be wrong about that. Donald Kingsbury uh, contributes Historical Crisis. That's the name of the, the, his novella. A startling work of prediction of the human future that challenges the foundations of psychohistory, which is uh, Asimov term. Oh, as developed by Asimov's famous foundation trilogy. <laughs> um, Joe Haldeman's For White Hill uh, confronts humanity with hostile aliens who remorselessly grind down every defense against them. A lone artist struggles to find a place in a distant, wondrous future when humanity seems doomed. And last is uh, at the Eschaton, 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 I don't know, by Charles Sheffield. A man tries to rescue his dying wife from oblivion by hurling himself forward in both space and time to the very end of the universe itself. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. They actually list the titles of the stories. I know. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That never happens. I know. Well, it's uh, by people who specialize in that uh, skyboat. Who uh, you know, they almost. Oh, that's Steph, that's Renicki. Right? Yeah, Steph and Renicki, and with the different narrators, um, there's one, two, three, four, five narrators. That means at least one per story, right? Um, so I, I, I would totally be down for that book because I, I, I mean, I love Joe Haldeman. I think everything he does is gold. Greg Bear can be gold, but he's also, he can be really hard to read. Yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on. And Paul Anderson is pretty great uh, every time as well. As for Sheffield, I've not read anything, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. And uh, Kingsbury, not heard of, but he's in good company here. 
Yeah, sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I, th- I think everybody would be interested in this book. Very old book I've heard about, newly released on audio. And only four hours. Whoa. Exactly 0.85 of a Jesse or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I got to the joke before everybody else. And uh, is this an author with only one name? Yeah. Sarban. Sarban. <laughs> so it's called The Sound of His Horn. Who wants to read this one for me? I'll take I'll it. I'll read it. Oh, go ahead, okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, here we go. A horrifying masterpiece of science fiction. The Sound of His Horn is a classic novel of the uncanny Alan Quardion. Oh, Alan Quardion becomes a prisoner of war during World War II and then awakes, only to find himself in an alternative future in which the Nazis have won the war. Against a sylvan backdrop, the legend of the Wild Huntsman is revived and gigantic experiments have created strange hybrids. Humans are hunted for game, hunted by the, haunted by the sound of the Huntsman's Horn. Mm-hmm. Wow, sounds like a uh, man in the high castle meets uh, Maze Runner or Hunger Games or something. or uh, yeah, what's the most dangerous game? I think. Um, so Sarban uh, from lived from 1910 to 1989 is the British diplomat uh, using a pen name. Uh, real name was John Williams Wall. Okay. And uh, so this book, I, I, I think I first heard about it um, as a uh, in connection with the most dangerous game, which is a classic story and perhaps the most downloaded episode of the SFF audio podcast. Um, if you guys haven't read it, you should, it's, it's very good. It's about humans hunting humans. Um, very good story. And, uh, with this, um, this just written after is shortly after world war two, this is written. Um, and with this sort of powerful plot in a short, uh, space read by Stefan Rudnicki. I mean, really, how can we go wrong? Yeah, yeah, he's he's awesome. I I I I had forgotten about it until I saw it. It's the sound of his horn. The sound of his horn. That sounds really familiar. Um, I think Hitler might be alive in this, and this this is uh, sort of the um, the uh, <sighs> The worst version of of the original uh, story uh, called The Most Dangerous Game. Now, the other thing is mentioned there is The Wild Hunt. You guys know about this? Sort of. Yeah. I wanted to do a show on this, and it's, it's really hard to figure out how to do it. But The Wild Hunt is uh, – what, what do you know about it, Seth? Um, I know it's one of those – is it associated with Walpurgisnacht? Is it, yeah, um, yeah, it is. It's um, – just a night. It's one of those kind of inversions of inversions of the of order where everything's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. It's tied up in order as though well as well. So one of the um, one of the things that it is is Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus <laughs> has these reindeer right flying through the sky. Um, well, those are very similar to what's going on in the Wild Hunt. Wild Hunt is there's this hunter right who is supernatural and he sounds his horn and then all the wild beasts of the of the woods um are who hear this must com- are compelled to fly up into the sky and go on the hunt so all the all the um wolves chase all the prey mm-hmm. and all the hunters uh who hear it human beings also do it and anyone who doesn't becomes the hunted. 
right? So if you hear it and don't com- comply, you become one of those that are hunted. Man. And it's it's kind of like fascism because if you don't conform, you will be cut from the the community, right? Right. And it it comes right out of Germany too. So it it's like it's like this pre um sort of middle ages dark ages sort of mythology yeah that gets turned into actual functional uh fascism in germany right and then this is okay after world war ii uh with the germans having won what do they do they do uh what you know having conquered the planet what do they do they do the games that would be just so horrifying right yeah. setting people loose and hunting them and it feels super epic to me i really want to read this book yeah sounds interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see i'm passionate about all these ones <laughs> i've added to this list here okay uh, i've also read the next one anybody else read read the rolling stones by robert a heinlein Mm-mm. nope no okay uh it says it was a finalist for prometheus award um so Basically, what this is is the Stones are a family. Uh, the the English uh, new English Library title for this book was Space Family Stone, which I thought was <laughs> oh, even better. I read it when I was in England, and I thought it was awesome. Um, it's basically it's about a family who have a spaceship and they go on vacation for the summer, <laughs> and they fly around the solar system. And there's uh, there's a pair of twins who get into trouble uh, selling flat cats, which are you know some Jovian Martian cat, and they take it from one planet to another, and uh, they sell them. You know, it basically it's you know my summer uh, job sort of <laughs> story. Um, and the, the the family business is they write uh, space opera um for a radio show which makes no sense because they're in outer space um but whatever and then there's there's kids and and they go on this adventure and um lots and lots of sort of family uh heinleinian stuff happens but uh i wanted to point out that this is actually also the maybe the origin of tribbles from star trek oh wow uh jenny did you ever watch star trek You've watched Star Wars now. Have you watched Star Trek? Uh, like here and there, a little bit. Okay. Well, there's an episode called The Trouble with Tribbles, which I'm sure Tam is well aware of as well. Classic. There you go. And in that, they the problem with Tribbles is they breed. You feed them and they, they reproduce and they can't stop. And that's the same is true with flat cats. <laughs> <laughs> so they suddenly get a ship full of these warm little fuzzy little cats sort of creatures and uh, they can't stop them or uh, gremlins yeah kind of like gremlins except gremlins are scary whereas yeah. uh, this is not scary all right so i'm not going to read the description other than that it's very fun and it's read by tom weiner and it's oh, it was yeah. released this year so okay and lastly uh tam have you re- actually read this book all you need is kill indeed i did okay uh would you care to read the description very well. And the name of the author. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough part. Well, when I read it, it was called All You Need Is Kill, but now it is the same title as the movie adaption, Edge of Tomorrow, by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. 
Sakurazaka. Oh, that sounds good. Uh, this one thing worse than dying is coming back to do it again and again. When the alien... So, uh, pe- people told me, uh, to appeal to me to see the movie, they would go, oh, you get to see Tom Cruise die over and over again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I guess that's so, appealing to some people. <laughs> so, if you don't like Tom Cruise, that might be a reason. So, uh, but I heard, I heard the movie was good, even though uh, it, I guess it didn't do that well. But I heard I, it was I a good movie. I watched it, and I, I quite liked it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. Yeah, um, I when the when the alien Jitai invade, KG Kiria is just one of many raw recruits shoved into a suit of battle armor and sent out to kill. KG dies on the battlefield only to find himself reborn each morning to fight and die again and again. On the 158th iteration iteration through you see something different something out of place the female soldier known as the in the book it's called full metal bitch mm. <laughs> but I, I don't know why it's called bitch of war here mm. is the bitch the key to KG's escape or to his final death I wonder if they retranslated the book too maybe yeah it says because it was called full metal bitch in the version I read yeah that's, that's what right it's word. called in the movie as well uh, which oh, really? doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The movie, the movie does not have a Japanese uh, setting. Um, it's setting. Okay. It's very World War II esque. Um, but I, I'd be interesting after watching the movie. I'd be very interested in reading the book because it was. Um, it's nice and short. I, I like that. But the movie, I, I was saying, like it has a really like, super debt to uh, Groundhog Day, but. The plot is essentially, other than having that Groundhog Day element, it's basically you know ones we've seen a million times before with Ender's Game or, or um, uh, Starship Troopers, you know that sort of thing is aliens invade the Earth and blah blah blah, right? And you have to fight them using your power armor or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the cool things about Groundhog Day, and I know Groundhog's Day. And Luke talks about that book, uh, that book, that movie as being very uh, interesting and powerful. Um, is and I found that in the this movie as well. I think it's sort of doing the same thing. I, I, I'm curious to ask Tam about this. Does see what I think's going on is it's like at the beginning of Groundhog's Day and in the beginning of this movie and I guess this book. The character is either a coward or he's a cynic. In Groundhog's Day, he's a cynic, and he becomes a, a humanitarian at the end hmm. um, by having knowing the full story of everybody. You uh, have a lot more sympathy, you know, to know all is to forgive all. And when people are having problems, you try and help them. But if you, you know, can just dismiss them, you won't do that. So that that's true in Groundhog's Day, and in the movie. Uh, Tom Cruise is not a cynic. He's a coward. Oh, okay. And he is not interested in risking his own life to help his fellow men. But in the process of dying over and over again, he figures out uh, how to survive and help other people survive most of the time. Sometimes he lets them die because he's getting tired of them. (laughs) Um, But it's like it's kind of like a metaphor for life. In this re- repeating your um, your life over over and over again, what would you do differently? And I I think on that level it works really well. 
Um, it's not so much the you know the space stuff that we've seen before the you know, power armor we've seen before, but as a right. movie, it works really well on that level. Is is that what the book's about, Tam? I don't remember, I don't remember there being that great a characterization in the book. Hmm. I mean, it's pretty short. Yeah, they might have beefed that up for the movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think it owes a big debt to the the emotional beats of Groundhog's Day, even though that's a that's a comedy, um, and this is the movie version is not. But it's interesting. Yeah, it is kind of the same idea where you learn skills and then you take it to the next loop. Mm-hmm. Both both in Groundhog Day and Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I I quite liked it. I I mean. Tom Cruise doesn't tend to pick crappy science fiction movies, but this was a lot better than that one that was sort of a remake of uh, Wally. What was <laughs> that? Him Ob- Wally. <laughs> Oblivion is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. I didn't see that. Yeah, Me neither. It's not worth seeing, but this one definitely is. I think. One, well, and that's my list. Excellent. Okay. Anybody else got anything? Well, speaking of Heinlein, I was going to mention uh, Stephen Gould. He has a new Jumper book called EXO. I think it's the fourth one. Right. And uh, he was on the Geek Guide to the Galaxy, and he says that it's really inspired by Heinlein's uh, Have Space Who Will Travel. Because ah. the daughter jumps like into space with like this um, this very light suit, but it's it's uh, airtight. And uh, somehow when she jumps, she can increase her velocity too, so she can basically fly around in space. Hmm. And uh, if you just look at the first page, it's really cool. It has her like uh, going high up into the sky where she couldn't breathe without the suit on. Well, it's a it's a great premise. Uh, the thing is, is I was thinking that yeah, I heard that same interview. I was thinking that it also sounds like the original book that he got the idea from. Uh, so teleportation is what those jumper books are about, and um, the premise in the first book is uh, The Star's My Destination by Alfred Bester, is that the guy actually starts in space and he's about to die and he discovers that he has this ability. Mm. And that is also true in the Jumper books that he, you know, but it, the kid's on Earth and they never left the Earth in any of the previous Jumper books. So it's sort of going back to its roots, it seems like, as well. Wow, that's cool. I have, I have one other thing, too. What's that? Um, okay. Well, I just don't know if it's actually ever going to come out officially or not. So I, I'm a little hesitant because I forgot to check with the author. But um, chimpanzee, maybe, it. <laughs> maybe I can make it happen. Um, chimpanzee by Darren Bradley. I've read the book, but he sent me an audio play version that he gave out at his uh, like release party for the book. Oh, wow. I don't know if it's ever going to come out commercially or not. I mean, there's a lot of people on it. I haven't tried it out yet, but that's up next for me. For my listening, mm. I'm pretty excited about it. It's an audio drama? Yeah, like they turned it into an audio drama. Neat. Yeah. I mean, they recorded it in a studio and everything, so. Well, they should definitely release it somehow. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye out for it. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>